Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather, political discussion that from the outside may just look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk about news and politics. Yeah, um, and give our commiserations to the family of a, of a great man. He His personal life was, well, you know, might not have agreed with everything that he did or thought, but yeah. um, in his job he was he was really good at it. You know, it was like, he was innovative, he changed the way that people looked at it. He was an expert at his craft, he took it into new different levels and... Um, yeah, so, yeah, but in his private life, didn't always agree with him. Yeah. Did some questionable things. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's obviously the Dynamite Kid, not George <coughs> Bush. George Bush was a cunt through and through. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas at least the Dynamite hey, Kid hey, hey, could hey. do, a, a, like, a cool backflip. Yeah. George he could Bush. do a cool, cool backflip and a flying headbutt. You know? Yeah. Um, which doesn't George quite Bush make up for, for all the abuse. <laughs> um, but, you know, George Bush just abused. You know what they say, respect the uh, the office, not the man. Yeah, and the, the office of kid, kid Pegasus. <laughs> yes, yes. Doesn't matter who, for, who, who has that It doesn't office. matter who has the office, you respect the hell out of them. You do. For non-wrestling fans, <laughs> that uh, particular moniker was also held by Chris Benoit. <laughs> Who's a saint. <laughs> yes. So, respect the office. Yeah, respect oh. the office. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got to respect someone who you, who has that title belt, who has who, who won the Super Juniors. You've got to respect the office. Not the office of the president. Yeah. That's a dirtbag one. I think we'll run that one into the ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah fuck um, George Bush. Yeah, George Bush I'm died. I'm so glad he's died, dead. Died he should have died earlier. Um, Kissinger next. Um, yeah, well, we keep saying that, but it doesn't happen, does no, it? No, it doesn't. Um, but at least George Bush got to um, see his wife die, who he apparently loved. And um, <laughs> well, who I hated heard, him? Uh, did she? Yeah. <laughs> I heard the eulogy um, that his idiot son gave about um, how they had a little sister that died when she was free, and it really upset him. So that's nice to know that he had that all his life as well, because the man was a fucking beast. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, head of the CIA in the 70s, did Operation Condor, the arming yeah. of right-wing paramilitaries in South America. Yeah. Um, when he was VP in the 80s, he apparently wrote in his diary that he's the only one who knew all the details of the Iran-Contra deal. Fantastic. And then when he was president, in his last days as president, pardoned everybody involved in it, yep. including um, like uh, people who would have meant that he would have been called as a material witness. Yeah. And he didn't have a series of really great matches with Sayama either. <laughs> so, you know, fuck it him. It is weird. Like, George Bush always, in my head, he's only, like, his only real link is not necessarily with Reagan. I mean, I'm not American, yeah. so I don't didn't necessarily see him all, all the time. But I probably saw him more than any other president just because of The Simpsons and mm-hmm. Naked Gun. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's really weird. I think he's probably, I was thinking about this, like, is he the last... You know, in like pop culture, like comics, mm. you have a generic president figure, mm. and he's a white man. He's old. He's got a particular suit on. Was he the last person who you could have as like the generic president? Yeah, because after that, you have Bill you know Clinton, I mean? who was the sexual aggressor president. Well, also he had a different tick, like him, him, yeah, and like, like Tony Blair, for instance. Yeah, they have different ticks to yeah. them. There's different. If you were going to do an impression of them, mm. you would do it in a different way. You would have to add things in. George Bush, you'd have to add virtually nothing other oh, than no. the voice. Yeah. You know, and like I was even thinking about it with Naked Gun. Um, he is so like the it's Naked Gun two, I think, and like there's the whole plot with the environmental scientist. Mm. Um, and he at one point, like the George Bush impersonator they've got on, comes out and says like I will accept any um, any environmental measure that this doctor suggests in his report. And then the whole thing is about the doctor getting kidnapped and everything. But 
his whole this the whole, this guy's whole report was going to be on like how they should dump oil and everything for solar power, and it's like yeah of course because like despite the fact that George Bush was an oil man hmm. made all his money in Texas oil. Hmm. He was so generic as a politician that you could almost apply like any yeah. any policy to him and people would believe it. He's the last generic president. He's the last yeah. um, Mr. Potato Head president. Although he was also head of the CIA for so long. And that's the thing. Well, that's like, the understatement. Like he managed thing. to yeah. hide how monstrous he was behind being super dull. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know. No. Goodbye, Dynamite Kid. Yeah. It was a really good book. His autobiography is really great. Is it? It'd be nice if um, some politicians wrote books about how they're pieces of shit and they don't regret anything and they do it all again. Because <laughs> that's how his book ends. Yeah. I mean... So good. So yeah, let's talk about Brexit. Do we have no, to? No, Like, I'm not, I'm not saying this in a way. that Stuff has gone on. Interesting stuff. She lost three votes, um, I think it was yesterday, in about an hour. Yeah. Um, um, Nick clearly... Ferrari referred to the Grievous Bodily Harm Amendment. Because of the Grievous Amendment. That's oh, it. because of grief. Yeah. Because of Dominic Grief. The Grievous Bodily Harm oh, Amendment. Good Lord. Um, which, you know, if Greaves was a wrestler, he would have a move called the Grievous Bodily Harm. Um, but a uh, milquetoast amendment to make sure that Theresa May can't just do whatever she wants. It seems a bit much to call Did it Did you that. fucking see there was a thing on Twitter the other day about an amendment that the Lib Dems tried to sponsor? <laughs> To um, put in the withdrawal bill that there would be no, um, that they would not leave without a deal and they would not leave, I think it was, would not leave without a deal and would not leave with uh, the deal that was on the table. Yeah. They were trying to like... It was basically trying to, it was trying to triangulate Labour into supporting a second referendum. Yeah. And, you know, losing a third of their voters. And it's like, this was one big opposition-sponsored thing mm. to fuck the government, because it mm. clearly is against the interests of all of these parties' constituencies mm. to mm. do this. Probably mm. the Tories as well. Mm. And you just have to get that in there. The Lib Dems just have to, well, like, try and know, wrestle the fucking FUBP vote back. goes with um, other great Lib Dem amendments, like when they try and sneak in, please be my friend. Yeah. Um, will the House acknowledge that Lib Dems are nice? <laughs> Things like that, that people ca- keep on catching and saying, oh, God, no, we're not for that. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. But I don't want to talk about Brexit, really, because we'll talk about Brexit next week. Um, because that's A lot when of stuff's happened. happened, but I don't feel like and I don't the, the ground hasn't shifted yet. I still don't care. Um, I, think, yeah. I, kinda, I want to read that figgy book. Oh, you were talking about the Costas Lapovitsas. Yeah, I want to read that book, but yeah. you know, it sells out everywhere. I listened to like a podcast with Costas Lapovitsas mm. um, a few weeks ago, and he seems really sure... That Lexit is an achievable thing, and it, the confidence is refreshing. I, yeah. I don't know about how um, it I works mean, without a Labour government, or I, even a minority Labour government, even a slight majority Labour government. But um, I'm interested in it because, well, it, you, we're looking for a Lexit way out now that because now we, that, we're going to be leaving. Now so that therefore we've got to look at what's the way yeah. that we do it. Yeah, yeah. Rather than the turning into Singapore, because I'm I'm going to be like pretty honest here, you'll die very quickly if we turn into Singapore because they beat people for spitting on the street and you won't stop spitting. I do. I haven't spat on the street in 
weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I can spit anywhere I want. I've got my flu jab. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, hey, you're looking at somebody who already got called out by Julia Hartley Brewer on air. She didn't know it was me. No. But I don't know. I don't, can't even remember where I was listening to I, it. It I must have listen- been you were listening, listening to it. And I literally sent you a message because she talked about... It was... Um, I think she mentioned it was a guy and she, she described a jacket that you were wearing all the time. It then. was like the shop uniform of the shop I was working in. Yeah. Um, and it was the exact location, and it was the exact time when I had a very, very bad cold, and I was working on my own. And I was outside smoking. And and spitting. I know it's like, oh, I had a cold, that's why I spit. Like, no, you spit No, 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 no. Amateurs spit, all right? This was winding gobs of white phlegm that would not stop gushing. And I was in not a food business, but a food adjacent business. So, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. But yeah, that was pretty funny. But um, yeah, yeah. You can't, we won't be able to survive that. So we need to work. I need, you know, I want to see what's a good way of dealing with it mm. and how we're going to get out of it. Because I'm not going to spend all my time going. Well, we shouldn't leave because it's unrealistic. Yeah, because also if we do, if it say it all gets cancelled, yeah, and we stay, then fine. But if we, the more likely thing is if we do leave, then I sort of need to know. You want to, to leave do. on your terms, on our terms, on yeah. socialist terms. Or know which way to move once we've got there. Yeah. Yeah. So um no, so yeah, it. so I kinda of wanna read I wanna read his book. Yeah, um, I've kind of been looking for a Lexit way out to be to be perfectly honest. I'm not mm. still not fully convinced by the case, but definitely well, way think, more convinced than I was I think I lean more a into, year ago. I think I lean more into it. Like I wouldn't I didn't vote to leave, but I lean no, more into did I. a Lexit y thing. Because for the same reason, like Welsh and Scottish and Irish independence. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter how left wing Scotland or Wales or Northern Ireland ever want to be, England won't ever let them. Mm. In the same way that the EU won't really let us. So it's going to have to, if we're going to have a socialist government in Britain, it was always going to have to be. Even if the the, discussion was going to have to be. Even if the the EU weren't an obviously anti socialist organisation, even if it didn't set, set. everything it had mm. against the idea of socialist governments in Europe, mm. um, even if it was amenable to it, it would still require such a shake-up of... And we, like, if we were remaining, it would require such a shake-up of our relationship with the EU mm-hmm. that it might as well be like leaving. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I don't really want people to, you know, go into hardship because it will be the poorest no. people who suffer no. under a no-deal. But it... it I am quite excited by Lapovitsas when, you know, he does lay out things of like, look, if you don't want to fuck it up, this is this is how it can go. This is how you can I do, do it. think is kinda of weird. Um you see, there's like a lot of people you get they get on like Newsnight and all this kind of shit to talk about Brexit and that stuff. And Lapovitsas hasn't been on anything, really. None of the mainstream news I haven't seen him on a single mainstream um, news thing. Um No, I don't think all. I have either. Um and he's probably one of the foremost Lexit guys. And yeah. also, he's not hard to find, and he's not that far away from the studios because yeah, he teaches s- at SOAS. He's a SOAS professor, isn't he? Yeah. So he's not hard to find. He's like within walking distance. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so that's like so yeah, it would be nice to pay yeah. attention to them a bit. Mm. But yeah, so yeah, what else happened this week? Fuck already. Um, a lot's happened, but there's nothing you can draw from it. Do you know what I mean with with Brexit? There's yeah. been a lot of activity, but we all know what's coming up. We all know what the it's the vote is this time next week. I think isn't it or the eleventh um, next yeah. Tuesday? Yes, yeah, Tuesday. Um, so yeah, it's it's quite hard to 
I mean, she's Theresa May has just seemed to. She's holding up a strong front, but she is making every wrong step she because she is still keeping all of the management. And in a way, I can kind of understand this, but she's keeping all the management inside the party and inside Parliament. Mm. And fuck the rest of the UK. Mm. Like, fuck any kind of other um, uh, convincing. She doesn't need to do any of that convincing anymore. She mm. has to just sell it to a tiny quorum of her MPs mm. just so they won't vote against her. Yeah. You know? And I. She'll. If she. Even if she comes out of this with the deal that she wants, if she scrapes it past. Like, all of this stuff about the legal advice not being published, mm. the underhanded. She's given Parliament an excuse to flex what muscles it has in mm. this. They're not going to be able to get over this vote, get the deal, and then just get the free ride mm. that came in the in the Great Reform Bill, where they're just going to be able to turn loads of EU law, put it yeah. through the government, and yeah. then put it through uh, no, as law. It's kind of a horrible time. It, you, there might not be, as we like talked about last week... Mm. There's going to be lo- there aren't many actual constitutional hurdles, but now that the constitution has been questioned, mm. there's loads of levers a lot of people in Parliament can pull, and mm. it just it's going to get worse. Mm. It's not going to get better before oh, until she goes. The other, that's the other thing that happened this week. Um, well, it's the last. It's been going on for a couple of weeks, but it's been getting really bad in the last week. Um, the stuff in France with the yellow jackets. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, which is it's conflicted because you yeah. know it starts off because. To be fair, France does need to have higher fuel duty because, well, I, I, think, oh, every, I think everyone needs higher fuel duty because fuck yes. cars, I fucking hate you. And I know that there's disabled people who need cars, but you know, they'll be fine. They they'll have their own cars. It's all good. Yeah, they, yeah. they get their permits, they'll be fine. It's just all the dickheads who really don't need them. It's mainly, I've got a real issue. It's like when I walk the dog in the morning and I know the catchment areas for the schools around here because yeah. my kids went through all of them. So I know how close they supposedly live. <laughs> and the amount of cars that are dropping kids off, it's like, you fucking, either they're lazy or they're liars. Um, and, you know, I just want no one to be able to drive. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so it's so on the one hand, I don't agree with the protesters coming out like, oh, how dare you make off pay more petrol. Also, they tend to but, be like, a, yeah, they, they are kind of like, I think they're, they're, they're spread around a lot. But, yeah, the whole fuel duty thing is kind of quite a right populist Yeah, but it seems to be becoming to a bit more than that as well. Yeah. Um, but then it's... It's nice to see, you know, stupid, obnoxious Macron <laughs> get his pads pulled down. What's nice is to see the um, traditional neoliberal playbook thwarted by the thing that we always know thwarts that kind of stuff, mm. which is actual demonstrations, mm-hmm. demonstrations of power and action mm-hmm. on the streets, mm-hmm. which stops them, physically stops them doing what they want, yeah. in the same way as a strike. And he's, and he's gone back on it already. Yeah, already, and, um, immediately. The thing is that's worrying is like, he, there, there are other problems with everything that he's doing in France and he will flat out ignore all of them now. Yeah. 100%. Definitely. Yeah. It's, a, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. It's always good to see that, that kind of action, especially it's the French who always seem to lead the way in that kind of thing. Mm. Like Some of the innovative ways that they were like blocking and or wrecking shit. I saw like a flaming car being held by a forklift truck that they were using to smash up a toll booth. Yeah. That's like, all right, that's pretty great. Pretty badass. Yeah. Um, smashing up and graffitiing the Arc de Triomphe. The other, the only, the thing that really worries me is obviously the thing that we were saying when Macron was elected, which is 
what happens to Macron 2020? Mm. You know, what, um, who is there in front? I'm not going to, don't really know um, much that much about French politics. I know Mélenchon, I know Le Pen. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's the one who's waiting in the wings. <laughs> Mélenchon. And I mean, there's Mélenchon as well. Um, but there's some real... Que- I don't know where it came from. Again, don't know enough about um, yeah. his party or, or, or where he comes from. He said some real weird nationalist things yeah. about kind of protecting French values and French culture. Uh, that means the poaching the chicken inside the bladder thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> French culture. French, French, it just wants to poach things inside other things. Yeah. Preferably like, stomachs. Yeah, that sounds like French culture to me. <laughs> so, our main section this week uh, that I wanted to talk about was. Jews. Uh, <laughs> cultural Marxism. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not Jews. Yeah. Just cultural Marxism. The whole point of cultural Marxism <laughs> is that the people who adhere to these beliefs yeah. don't say Jews. Well, some of them do, to be fair. <laughs> Um, so you go on almost any YouTube video or alt-right Twitter feed and you'll find cultural Good Marxism. Good morning, Britain. Good morning, Britain, yep. Um, you'll, f- <laughs> uh, you'll find cultural Marxism paired with like uh, alt-right buzzwords, SJW, you mm. know, girls with coloured hair. Snowflake. Snowflake, that kind of thing. Um, it'll get paired with postmodernism and creeping communism as the source of all of their ills. Everything that's happened, mm-hmm. very much contained within the cultural sphere, but they kind of politicise it and, and, and turn it to whatever target they want to. Yeah. Um, it's also often combined with mentions of the Frankfurt School and dark uh, dark murmurings about subversion yeah. and um, yeah infiltration and, and things like that. But it's not anti-Semitic. Um, if not outright anti-Semitism. <laughs> it's <laughs> super anti-Semitic. <laughs> um, it generally serves as an umbrella term um, that they apply to un-American and anti-Western ills like atheism, secularism, political correctness, gay rights, sexual liberation, uh, affirmative action, liberalism, socialism, anarchism, uh, mostly multiculturalism, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're led to believe by these things, that the ultimate goal of cultural Marxism is to slowly and stealthily dilute and subvert white Christian Western culture, thereby opening these uh, religiously observed sovereign nations to a one-world government. Mm. And the source of that is alternately, you know, postmodernists, neoliberals, and Jews. <laughs> if not lizards, the Illuminati, <laughs> and the Bilderbergs. Yeah. Um, it was always a fringe phenomenon. I think the first time it was mentioned in a speech was a... a Right winger called William Lind mentioned it in a speech in like the early nineties, mm. um, but it's recently really bled into mainstream arenas. I did see it's older than that. It's been around for a long time. It, it, it's been around but for quite a while, but it, but it, it's it's definitely started to come back in a big way. Like apparently, I saw a tweet the other day. I didn't don't listen to Radio Four, you know, for me elf. Yeah, but apparently they did have a load of um, kind of Bannon sympathetic. People on who were talking about the evils of cultural Marxism, yeah, yeah. and this is just kind time. of uh, this was just kind of a conversation piece. This wasn't a "What are you doing? Get out of my studio! You're mm-hmm. fucking insane." Yeah. Um, but yeah, also people like Peter, uh, Peter, uh, people like Jordan Peterson, oh. Stefan Molyneux. You know, they make these four-hour-long YouTube videos about how communism didn't go away with the Soviet Union. 
but remains lurking in the heart of Western civilization, spreading from the universities to the media to the culture industry. Mm. Um, a phrase they use that was actually invented by um, Adorno and Horkheimer, who were two uh, yeah. professors from the uh, two lect- uh, academics from the uh, the Frankfurt School. Yeah. Um, so Stefan Molyneux is like he's a really great one because he is easily one of the least charismatic cult leaders I have ever seen in my life. They take him seriously because he he's he almost sounds right. He's got that he's got that kind of um bloodless um Brian Eno, uh, Lord Adonis, um who's the other one? Um Alan de Botton. Mm. He's got that kind of bloodless shaved-headed thing that where you think he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And like, that's no disrespect to Brian Eno. Those other two guys can fuck off. I like Brian yeah. Eno. But he still has that kind of, th- yeah, yeah. like, I'm sitting inside my think pod. Yeah. And I'm coming out with all these thoughts because I'm a being of purest thought. You know, like, yeah. almost like ascetic mm-hmm. thing around them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, so a National Security Council official, Rich Higgins, wrote in a memo to Trump just after the Charlottesville attack, as used in this discussion, cultural Marxism relates to uh, programs and activities that arise out of Gramsci Marxism, Fabian Socialism, and most directly from the Frankfurt School. The Frankfurt strategy deconstructs societies through attacks on culture by opposing a dialectic that forces unresolvable con- contradictions under the rubric of critical theory. Now, Trump seems to have taken that to heart because during the French protests last week, uh, he retweeted Charlie Kirk when he was talking about the Paris riots. Uh, Charlie Kirk said, There are riots in socialist France because of, ra- because of radical leftist fuel taxes. Media barely mentioning this. They want to cover up the middle class rebellion against mar- cultural Marxism. We want Trump being chanted through the streets of Paris. It He's was. that guy, isn't he that guy who like overhears, like, I'm in a hipster coffee shop and I heard they, that they're really happy about Trump. Um, I, I don't know. I think Charlie, I, I think he might be one of the ones. He's with a, a turning really small point. Face. USI, USA guy. I think. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I think he might be one of the, yeah one of the ones with a really small face and a large head. But you know, that's, that's a lot of them. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's become way more prominent and present in places that it previously would have been mm-hmm. would have been banished from. The basic like fascist perspective yeah. on cultural marxism they trace kind of the ideological development from um between the first and second world war mm-hmm. so from their perspective this is all from their perspective mm-hmm. uh marx made his predictions not really predictions more kind of a good rule of thumb mm-hmm. and a system for predicting how societies work and the relationships with it relations within so them. So Marx did magic. But so Marx looked into the scrying glass. He did. He looked into the black mirror. He did look into the black mirror that he'd stolen. He didn't pay for. He yep. stole. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, knowing Marx it was actually probably on like um on the never, on the never never. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's scrying his black I read, mirror on higher purchase. I read that book Love and Capital. <laughs> he seems like that kind of he's he's a CDX guy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> so between the wars um, Marx's predictions were being proven wrong because everybody fought for their own countries in World War One, mm-hmm. and uh, everything that he predicted had gone wrong. You know, Russia had their revolution and not Germany or England as he thought it would. Um, and the academics of the time were puzzled by this. Mm-hmm. They couldn't work out why uh, the working class hadn't uh, ro- risen up in revolution in the most kind of like ripe time for it in European history. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they decide that because Marxist theory did not come to pass in the way that they, the reactionary right, thought it would have, they must have been panicking. They us then usually bring in uh, Georg Lukacs and uh, Gramsci into the mix. Um, Lukacs was Minister for Culture in the Hungarian Soviet Republic, uh, declared for about five months <laughs> after World War I. Um, he also introduced some of the first sex education classes uh, in Hungary. Gramsci formulated the idea of cultural hegemony. Yep. Um, and they theorise on that because they didn't think that they could win politically, that Gramsci and Lukacs's swing to kind of examining cultural phenomenon mm. um, was an attempt to kind of shift the focus of class war from economic matters onto cultural matters. Mm. Um, from their point of view, they they these Marxist academics looked at Christianity like heredity, like race, mm. um, patriarchy, uh, gender roles, patriotism, all those kind of things, and thought that they were the reasons why the working class was so kind of stuck in the mud. Yeah, They believed that because these Marxists had seen that they couldn't overthrow things from without, that they would overthrow them from within. Um, the various sex education classes. Yeah, basically. Um, and in order to do that, they got to get inside institutions that kind of moulded ideas and moulded uh, youth. Mm -hmm. They needed to get at the kids. Yep. And so they went into universities and the media, you know, ignoring that Gramsci was imprisoned by the fascists and died in prison. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the prison is the Italian TV industry. <laughs> <laughs> that works. <laughs> um, so then they usually draw attention to uh, the Institute for Social Research, which is commonly referred to as the Frankfurt School. Uh, founded in 1923, the school was basically just a loose, in reality, mm -hmm. was a loose association of Marxist academics who were coming at the problems of, of culture and revolution from different angles, although they had a kind of similar paradigm. Um, the Frankfurt School came at, it f came at society from the perspective that the way that we conceptualise and understand society often doesn't reflect and, in fact, misrepresents the way real relations and real interactions happen between people. Mm -hmm. um, the gap and how like the gap between the abstract principles of how things are supposed to work and how things really work have a kind of yawning chasm in between and that's where you'll find ruling class ideology that's where you'll find ideology happening yeah um, they also wrote a lot on kind of culture and authoritarianism or authoritarian personality specifically um, they were um they had to move from Frankfurt, obviously, with the rise of the Nazis. They moved to Geneva and then moved to New York. Um, and they did a lot of work on kind of what they saw as the, the, the authoritarian personality, the fascist personality and fascist psychology as an explanation for why the Nazis came to power. Yeah. Um, ultimately, that's kind of all you really need to go into in reality for the Frankfurt School as far as cultural Marxism concer is concerned, because mm -hmm. it... It's fully conspiratorial. It reflects absolutely no reality about the way that the, the Frankfurt School operated, the events and, and processes that they underwent. Um, if anything, like Adorno, one of the prominent Frankfurt School uh, academics, was targeted by the, by the like, kind of late 60s, was targeted by new left protesters for not being radical enough. Yeah. He was very down on um, the new left in particular because he thought they, they were demonstrating 
authoritarian kind of personality traits and this would yeah. lead to just another cycle of you know the failures of the Soviet Union or the failures of Germany leading up to the Nazi period yeah things like that so for um, the cultural Marxism theory these academics because they'd been to America and then uh, had gone back to Germany after the war mm-hmm. they saw them as kind of tactically spreading out through the universities to try and like get at the kids <laughs> or just try to get jobs um, and it, yeah <laughs> and you know fleeing genocide yeah so it's a fairly fairly common thing <laughs> in that period um and they instigated kind of like they they saw them instigating these these questioning of these very important like western values they're important to them mm. they're the basis of everything that the the fascist right believed in yeah um they usually throw foucault and derrida into the mix um as a kind of tilt at postmodernism even though i'm not sure the extent to which adorno for instance would be called a postmodernist yeah i Maybe I don't know enough about him, but it's usually Foucault and Derrida because they're again they're attacking kind of um, institutions in the West and they're attacking kind of the way that language works, mm. um, attacking these like certainties that fascists feel they need to uphold in order to know where they are. Mm. You know, um, there doesn't appear to be any real detailed explanation of how these concepts got from, like, say, the Frankfurt Reading Room to BuzzFeed and Disney films, mm-hmm. either. Um, you know, like, they, they, they talk about kind of, oh, it's the bad people. Yeah. It's the bad people who have made us talk about all these things. Not really giving any credence to, like, a rationale or discussion mm. or the discourse or anything like that. Um, which, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect that fascism is about identifying enemies it's not about discussion discussion no, no, it's not, not about rationale no um if anything again it's not about why it's all entirely <laughs> about who and if if anything like most postmodernists are kind of furious that rationale is distorted like they argue that rationalism has been distorted mm. by the west it, it's not like a kind of rejection of rationalism it's an anger that people aren't doing it properly mm. you know it's it's weird um so yeah, because they've gone into the universities and they assume the media because that's kind of all they see, mm. spread of like commercial television culture and radio and films and things like that. That's all they see. So when they see when fascists see something they don't like, um, they can blame it on and trace it back to this like one very contradictory source. Yeah, you know, I like. They, for instance, might say that modern music will, you know, it, it warps things, it, it, it warps like kids' minds, and that's fucking something Adorno would have agreed with. Hmm. He hated jazz, he hated modern music because he said it had become like commercialised, it was there to soothe people yeah. and not make them, it was there just to consume and not, not think about why like the, the social forces and the social powers that work in their own lives. Yeah. He was agreeing with them. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Do that jazz is terrible. <laughs> so like yeah, that's why you get so many like YouTube videos with the minutiae of, of pop culture under the microscope, you know, like yeah. a forty five minute long YouTube video on one scene where yeah. they say things like and if you look closely, the main character spends forty minutes talking to other women. Not one minute in coming up with good arguments why Rommel is an okay Nazi to like. <laughs> um so the modern incarnation is more focused on what they believe that these frustrated Marxist, failed Marxists, took to be their revolutionary subjects. Quite an important factor of it is that they lost faith in the working class. Mm-hmm. They say they lost faith in the working class 
and transferred it to a broader and more generalised kind of oppressed oppressor mm-hmm. relationship in which they look at, you know, students, women, young people, people of colour, um, and, you know, them causing their causing their mischief, wreaking their mischief wherever they can. Mm. Um, and, you know, people like Jordan Peterson even push it into, like, the um, the bureaucracy. He, he I was watching one YouTube video uh, I ruined my algorithm for this <laughs> podcast. Thank you very much. So does mine. Mine's still, mine's, it's disgusting. I fixed mine. Now mine just gives me Warframe stuff. <laughs> and he talks about how, you know, he says the threat cannot be underestimated from the radicals and the postmodernists. Yeah. Um, and even says that all... It was, it was a particular quote. It was like, all... Um, bureaucratic state offices from the bottom up are staffed by postmodernists and he uses that word postmodernist not like yeah. just diversity coordinators or his mm. his typical kind of like mm. stalking targets yeah he specifically says postmodernists <laughs> i didn't realize there was so much work in like postmodernism <laughs> the only thing i can think of is that it roughly chimes with where they would like to get, which is ultimately outsider rightists, would like to get into the conservative movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and attacking the state is a really good way yeah. of kind of aligning their goals. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's the same way that they all kind of, like Jordan Peterson, for instance, like half adopts like Judeo Christian rhetoric. Yeah. It's because in his heart of hearts, he knows that if he can get the church dollar, yeah, and if he can get those speaking engagements, he can spread his his message to a wider audience. Yeah. once he gets accepted, you know, um, just another part of the grift. Yeah, um, so yeah, they believe that none of this is on the surface. All of this is subversion, and again, that's like quite a common attitude about a lot of things from the racist and fascist right. Um, their discourse is entirely built on essentializing identities. So the way they the way they see say uh, blackness or the other the foreign other is as a disease they don't mm. see them as other people they see they see the other as a disease a pathology being transmitted through popular culture music things like that for example see what david starkey said after the london riots he mm-hmm. said the whites have become black they have adopted a nihilistic gangster culture yeah. they've got at them they got at the kids and they, they didn't do it honestly by Recruiting them like janissaries and converting them at sword point. <laughs> yeah. Gelding them. Did they geld janissaries? Uh, no, they gelded um, Mamelukes, okay. which were like uh, early kind of Islamic uh, slave caste. Okay. Yes. <laughs> there we go. Right. <laughs> um, Correct me on my geldings. <laughs> um, yeah, so you could see how their other enemy, the Reds, they yeah. can only see it as, because they see it as unnatural, because they see it as foreign, they can only see it as like a contaminant that mm. can be transmitted through pop culture to the youth, because obviously no one's going to turn up to a four-hour seminar on, you know, uh, the Grundrisse, mm. things like that. But they couldn't, uh-huh. they couldn't imagine how somebody could come to that on their own. Yeah. They couldn't imagine how somebody could come to that, despite not being taught it, yeah. how somebody could come that, come to that with a little bit of learning and come to it on their own. You know? Yeah. Um, and yes, yeah, like from the fash point of view, suffice it to say that because, you know, Adorno, uh, Herbert Marcuse, Eric Fromm and, and Walter Benjamin were all Jewish. 
that kind of adds to the conspiratorial frisson yeah. in this cultural Marxism gumbo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the irony is that you know you got people like Paul Joseph Watson blaming a lack of competition within the media as to why, because they also have to view these kind of um, these kind of ideas are like are unnatural. They would never be yeah. adopted by somebody on their own no. because they're just not good enough. No, so, but we have a competitive media environment. We have a competitive market in mm. people's attention, people's money. Mm. We have a free market in that. But the fact that these views and these th- like thought processes are rising to the top mm. is inexplicable. So, like Paul Joseph Watson says, "Oh, well, we don't really have a competitive media. Yeah. It's on. It's under lockdown by an elite. Obviously, it's being spoon fed. Yeah, you know, despite the fact that that's." 100% not the way the media works. No, not at all. You know? Um, you just need to look at all the cop shows. Yeah, you know, he, he like, criticises, like, um, yeah, plastic... Like, the cop... Yeah, like, cop shows. Um, he criticises, kind of, consumer culture, plastic, you know, uh, junk food culture. Mm. And then says, well, obviously, people don't want that. Uh, they're just being spoon-fed it. And it's like, no, it is actually what people wanted. Yeah. And actually, if you'd read any fucking... Like Frankfurt School academics in your life, you would know that they hated it as well. Yeah. And what caused it was capitalism. <laughs> what caused it was the desire for money. Are you telling me that decide um, choosing your schedule based on what can bring in the most advertising is somehow tied to capitalism and not a nefarious plot by Jewish communists? <laughs> the other thing is, like, if there are cultural Marxists everywhere, yeah. in every branch of government, in every institution. Why do I see so many privatised things? Yeah, yeah. Um, and Why do I see so many gated communities? If the media is full of so many fucking communists, how come they always look at me so weird when I start off, when I get on my horse? Why was Jordan Peterson on Question Time? Yes. It, yes. Obviously, I mean, every bit of it. But it's again, it's not a rhetorical device aimed into society. No. It's not an idea flowing into the boulevard. No, it's... The public boulevard. It's... It's not an idea flowing into the public boulevard. Yeah. It's um it's a strengthening device for what they believe about themselves, mm. the values they seem to stand for. Mm. You know, it's trying to stop the tide. So yeah, like as we mentioned as I mentioned at the beginning, um this has really started to bleed into um the mainstream. There was a an article in Tablet magazine, which is a Jewish American online magazine. Yeah. Um quite conservative, I think. Um but they published an article by a guy called Alexander Zubatov mm-hmm. uh, saying that the cultural Marxist thesis presented by fascists mm-hmm. is an anti-Semitic conspiracy, yep. but it's still got something to it. I see. He has um, written for a white nationalist newspaper, in case you were wondering. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but like, I thought there was a, something else that I've been like mulling over for the last few weeks, like when we were thinking of episode ideas and like kind of deciding on cultural Marxism. There was one by a uh, noted... I think it's a farming periodical. Um, unheard? <laughs> Have you heard of that? Um, no, I haven't, but I don't pay attention to agricultural um, websites. Yeah, I mean, they've got a cow on there. It's a, yeah. it's a kind of off. <laughs> yeah, of course, Unheard magazine, the answer to a question no one asked. <laughs> or apparently heard. <laughs> um and uh, it was published by uh, Peter Franklin, a former Tory advisor and speechwriter, called Is Mark Cultural Marxism Really a Myth? Um, <laughs> he says, 
Just as Marxists believe that workers should control the means of production so that it is used to produce the goods and services that meet the needs of the people, postmodernists believe that oppressed people should control the means of social construction so that they can manufacture the realities that suit them best. But Not so much to each according to his need, but to me according to my truth. What? Where does he meet these postmodernists? Where does he get off saying postmodernists believe? Yes. <laughs> Isn't it kind of about how belief is a social construction? Yeah. Oh. And also, you're a Tory. You believe in that fucking individualist stuff. Yeah. If the free market's working as it as it should do, mm. in its kind of most atomized and and uh, efficient sense, shouldn't everybody be constructing their truths? Yeah. Isn't that what Thatcher did? <laughs> that's what she was supposed that's what she tried to do. Yeah. Um but see, no, those, those nefarious Jews, I mean communists. <laughs> he continues, Whether consciously or unconsciously, postmodernists are so keen to establish a parallel with Marxism that they've invented a cultural equivalent to, economic con- to the economic concept of scarcity. The same is not generally true of cultural resources. In a free society, there are few limits on the words we can utter, the opinions we can hold, the arguments oh. we can enter into. This doesn't suit the quasi-Marxist worldview of the postmodernists at all, which is why they set such store by concepts like voice, mansplaining, and cultural appropriation, all of which suggest that the cultural goods are in short supply and unfairly allocated at a time when that's never been less true. I've got a question. If these goods are in short supply, what the fuck does it matter if you let people talk about that kind of stuff? Yeah. The fact that you do have to talk about mansplaining means that... I mean, the fact that like saying cultural goods are infinite is untrue mm-hmm. there's only a certain amount of attention there's only a certain amount of airtime. there's only a certain amount of time generally mm-hmm. um but isn't the kind of like space and diversity focused uh like pr- like thrust of kind of identity identity politics people's arguments suggest that there, there isn't enough space yeah if there was they wouldn't be asking for a voice because they yeah. would have one. They wouldn't be asking for more space if they if it was infinite. Yeah, I, I don't really, I don't, I just don't get what he's talking about. Um, how can we live in an imperialist, heterocentrist, white supremacist patriarchy if mainstream culture explicitly and repeatedly repudiates these things? I swear to God, this guy fucking gets wallet inspected everywhere he goes. <laughs> yes. oh, but everyone says they're not racist, therefore it must be true. Yeah. Um... The thing is, the only argument is, the only thing that I can say is that he must, he must just be, it's in bad faith, he's a liar, because otherwise, like you said, he's been wallet inspected so many times, that's probably written by someone else who wallet inspected him and stole his identity. (laughs) Got that sweet, sweet unheard gig. You heard him talking on his phone. (laughs) You heard him talking on his phone in a pub. (laughs) Stole his phone and got all of his email contacts. His one email contact. (laughs) Editor at unheard. Dot biz <laughs> at unheard.geocities.com. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, he ends with his bio, like biology analogy. He says there's a phenomenon called convergent evolution in which species, through distantly related and geographically separated, adapt to similar ecological niches. In doing so, they come to resemble one another in form and habit. We should think of Marxists and cultural Marxists the same way. It's so fucking typical for a, a a conservative to go for that kind of evolutionary yeah. model and for it to fucking backfire on them because, again, if this analogy is to be believed, yeah. 
then isn't the prominence of identity politics within our discourse and its similarity to Marxism both arguments for the fact that it has evolutionarily adapted to a yeah, niche and is the therefore valid? Yeah. I don't agree with that line of reasoning in any way at all. It's fucking bollocks. But, but according to his is. own logic... Yeah, he has been defeated by his own logic. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, we have this... Uh, the only thing that is really preventing you with access to the marketplace of ideas is the kind of evolutionary niches and the number of people it can appeal to. It appeals to a lot of people. No, but that's not right. That's not the right people. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. So that's like a typical kind of mainstream conservative view. You find a thousand of them anyway. Yeah. But I just to finish off, I just want to kind of talk about another kind of troubling offshoot of this cultural Marxism mm-hmm. thing, which is the increasing its increasing adoption by liberals, mm-hmm. nominal liberals, as ever on this show. When we say liberal, I don't think they're actually liberals. I think they are kind of right wingers, um, for want of a better term. Yeah, yeah. because you know a, a liberal wouldn't. If 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 a liberal, no true liberal, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they, they wouldn't espouse the kind of shit that these people seem to. Well, they wouldn't be able to and keep their principles intact. Yeah, the principles wouldn't make any sense, which is why they quite often don't. Yeah, that's why they're getting such a rinsing on fucking Twitter. Mm. Um. So yeah, that's a bit of a weird wrinkle in this tale is the shift in the last few years of, um, the like the adoption of this kind same kind of language that race and gender have become secondary to class. Mm-hmm. That's the difference between the cultural Marxism of the right and the cultural Marxism of the liberal and left, mm. is that they will often attack identity politics under the rubric that it wastes time or mm. distracts from the true determinant class. Yeah, again. The, the main issue, which is letting the, letting the journalists smoke from their pipes again in the Morning Star offices. <laughs> if those trans people wouldn't sh- 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 shut up. We'll be able to smoke our pipes again. And I mean, you could you could probably see where this is probably the culmination of the the right wing project in like you know going back to the beginning of neoliberalism, which was to kind of privilege a white working class not only with material stuff, but privileging it as its own separate category, yeah, worthy of attention. That's that's kind of where this this come from it, it kind of elevates them as you know they're the soldiers who fight in our wars yeah therefore they're special yeah you know that kind of thing um you know ultimately kind of tied to notions of respectability and you know respectability politics and all that mm. kind of stuff um so yeah the, the unheard article that i referenced above actually had a number of quotes by um a woman called uh helen pluckrose now She's probably better known as she was one of the people who commissioned all those articles in that SoCal SoCal Reloaded hoax Mm. a few months ago. She submitted a load of different papers and like took pieces of Mein Kampf Mm. and took uh, descriptions of dogs and things like that and submitted them to humanities journals and in some cases got them published. In most cases, she didn't. And then they used this to kind of prove that, oh, the humanities just believes anything. It has no yeah. intellectual rigour, all this stuff. And if anything, you know, people came out and said, well, it's a it's an indictment of peer review and second readings and things like yeah. that. And the journal market in general, because there's nothing stopping you creating an academic journal, you know, no matter yeah. who you are. Um, it's much more an indictment of that than humanities. But mm. they had a, an agenda as far as attacking social sciences and yeah. things like that. Um, I'll read a couple of the titles of some of her recent articles and see if you can see if you can 
Using your secret postmodernist deep reading skills that you learned in Kremlin U. <laughs> that I learned in the synagogue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry, they're See, not angry at Jews. It's okay, it's not Jews. <laughs> <laughs> See if you can like work out where her politics lie. Okay. Academic grievance studies and the corruption of scholarship. <laughs> Identity politics does not continue the work of the civil rights movements. Okay. No, liberal lefties are not right-wing. Actually, that sounds like a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she spoke at the Battle of Ideas, the Institute oh. of Ideas spiked online weird thing uh, that has like fucking... Funded by the Koch brothers. <laughs> oh, we didn't talk about that, did we? No, we Shit. didn't. Um, our good friends at Spiked Online, of course, are funded by them. Oh, because who's going to They pay don't for pay it? their writers. Yeah. They don't pay their contributors. Yeah. Well, you know, who's going to pay for those half-baked fucking records? But they all sound okay. the same. Brendan O'Neill has his 55 Patreon supporters. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Rubes! <laughs> Everywhere I look, Rubes. Yeah. It's like, in this situation, I think Spike to the Rubes for the Koch brothers. <laughs> well, the Koch brothers have gone all weird as well. They've started um, turning against Trump. Even despite the fact that he's giving them everything they wanted. But it's not enough. But they don't like the way he's doing it. He passes port on the right. <laughs> what a monster. Yeah. yeah. They learnt that from Stalin. Yeah. That's also one of the ways that their grandfather earned their money, the Koch brothers. Uh, he dug um, oil fields for Stalin <laughs> before the Second World War, yes. <laughs> Went to Russia and sold them oil, like oil pumping technology and stuff like that. Fantastic. Yeah. This world, this world's so great. It is. Like, sometimes, a lot of the time, you feel really bad about the world. Yeah. But, like, how can you not think that's the funniest thing in the world? <laughs> the Koch brothers earned their, like, earned their, family, their family fortune, fortune from Stalin. directly from Stalin. Yeah. Selling Fabergé eggs in order to fund the Koch brothers. <laughs> he did. He sold, he sold a lot of the Russian Fabergé eggs. Fantastic. Back to, like, monarchical collectors in France and, and stuff like that to fund him giving money... To the, that's the fucking dialectic. Yeah. That's a dialectic. That's fucking class class struggle. That's fantastic. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, go on. Uh, so she she gave this was a this was a transcript of the speech she gave at the Battle for Ideas. Cultural Marxism in common usage is a very confused concept. Usually when people refer to cultural Marxism, they're talking about the identity politics problem currently manifesting on the left, referred to as social justice activism. The identity politics problem. Yep. <laughs> Identity politics has its source not in the evolution of Marxist ideas, but of postmodern ones. So you see, that's important because mm-hmm. she's just on the left enough. She mm-hmm. considers herself just on the left enough that she's actually defending Marxist ideas yeah. from the kind of scrambly, uncertain postmodernism that she has in her head. Yeah. Um, there is an influential section of society which believes that dominant discourses are still profoundly racist, sexist, and homophobic. These ideas come from the universities, but they are not citing the Frankfurt School. <laughs> Again, not Jewish people. Not, not the Jews. Not Jews. It's not the elders of Zion. <laughs> it's just the disgusting liberal elite. <laughs> um, they are citing Did their the... meeting hall next to the synagogue. <laughs> yeah. They are citing the postmodernists and, to an even greater extent, the theorists in internet, intersectional feminism, critical race theory, queer theory, and postcolonial or decolonial studies to do so. Do we live in an imperialistic, heterocentrist, white supremacist patriarchy or not? What? That's exactly the same line that that mm. guy from Unheard used. Yeah. Weird. Um, uh. For most liberals, the answer is not. 
even as we acknowledge racism and sexism and homophobia to continue to exist and need addressing. The problems, very, very bad, but the causes, very, very good. Always and forever. <laughs> the dominant cultural narrative of UK society is not that men are superior to women, white people superior to black, Asian and minority ethnic people, or heterosexuals superior to homosexuals. We see this in the widespread support for gender equality, racial equality, and issues like same-sex marriage. Hmm. And it's like, yeah, that took decades. Yeah. Decades and decades yeah. to get that far. And for what it's worth, most of these kind of theories are not are about power, but are not about whether people feel superior. Mm. They're about exclusion. They're about um, stereotyping. They're about tropes and about how those things are shifted within different mediums. Mm. They're not just about I feel better than. Yeah. It's I don't need to deal with, and if I if I like, I don't need to deal with this if I don't want to. Yeah, I don't have to listen to these concerns. Mm. I don't get it. Um. To defend against this, yes, that's right, <laughs> we need to defend the fruits of modernity, science, mm -hmm. reason-centred philosophy, strong institutions and secular liberal democracy. We need to stand for the liberal values of individuality and universality in which every individual is a member of our shared humanity and must have the right to access every opportunity our shared societies have to offer. The social justice worldview is irrational and counterproductive to progress. It is not Marxism and we do not need to claim it is to oppose it. We can simply defend the fruits of modernity and with it, simply... Simply defend it. It's fine. Simply defend the fruits of modernity and with it the search for objective knowledge, the prioritisation of reason, and the liberal principle of equal rights, freedoms, and opportunities regardless of race, gender, and sexuality. That is what we should do. Um, it turns out, in fact, that Helen Pluckrose uh, is quite keen on establishing contrary narratives. Yeah. Um, I looked up a couple of her academic pieces. She is quite keen on evolutionary psychology. Oh, is she now? Yes. Uh, she's the editor of an, uh, a magazine called Aero Magazine, which is mm. kind of just another one of these online things. Um, yeah, she wrote a paper on how race is overplayed as an explanation of Othello and the Merchant of Venice, mm. and how evolutionary psychology can provide other explanations for their greedy or their angry or their um, selfish behaviour. Fantastic. What you don't understand is, Hugh, <laughs> Shakespeare didn't write Shylock as a Jew. No, he didn't. That's beside the point. And I think less of you for raising that. <laughs> you're the Eddie Semite. <laughs> so again, yeah, it's like you say, this, that the problems are very, very bad, but the cause is very, very good. Yeah. She argues that the tropes of cultural Marxism are all valid, mm. but the mechanism by which they get there is wrong. It's like show you're working. Yeah. It's really weird. It's they're they're invalid, but not because the premise is bad, but because the pro proposer's got some facts wrong. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's like an interesting change from like certain liberal anti-identitarians going from uh, using the kind of undeserving rhetoric hmm. that people who ha are like underrepresented or in frankly in pain or under oppression yeah. are undeserving, mm -hmm. so therefore they deserve their oppression. And now it's kind of saying that even to question the notion of oppression is illegitimate. Yeah. And this can only be because the left and social justice generally have started to rise, have started to get that. It's a direct kind of, like, there's increased ideological competition. She could have come out with this stuff years ago. And while she wouldn't have specifically named social justice, she would have been on the right. Mm. But because we're closer to, and more in competition with 
different kind of ideas and different like schools of thought coming out about a lot of different things. There's an ideological war mm. going on. Um, she's okay with like coming out and and saying that and still considering herself a liberal. Mm. It's very odd. And like yeah, a lot of the the criticisms of like left wing thought coming out of universities is like it's very strange to me because if an institution is going to be left wing, if it's going to think at the very like at the very basis level like a different idea, yeah, it would be a university. Mm. And I don't get why we don't criticize say the military for being right wing. What if if the if if the institu- if the yeah. universities are left wing? Yeah, can we not reduce all of those things to a kind of overrepresentation? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, actually, considering it, I am slightly worried about if the military went left wing. To be honest, given Paul Mason, um, <laughs> yeah, he'd be very into that. <laughs> and yeah, like that, she still has the full concept of cultural Marxism, which is shoring up her own rhetorical devices that she she believes in. So she even mentioned it in there. She says oh, I believe that everyone has access to these things and there is racism and sexism, but they are not large enough problems mm. to stop you from gaining access to resources, to representation, to yeah. all that kind of thing. And again, it's shoring up the way she believes that society is working. Mm-hmm. You know, I, don't, and I, don't, I, I think it's especially disappointing from liberals because, like, let's face it, the intellectual history of, the, of Europe, certainly for the last 200 years has been at least run on vaguely liberal liberal lines mm. that's where the university comes from and that kind of emphasis on rationality on reason on discussion on like probing thoughts it just seems to have been completely dumbed down and just kind of weaponized at the moment mm. they take those to be their their like calling cards and yet they don't want to actually engage in questioning things in accordance with those principles, you know, like what's like, what happened to being able to imagine other worlds than this one, other than like Helen Pluckrose's perfect world where everyone has access and there's no particular problems in the way of it. What's wrong with accepting that maybe that isn't true and Mm. that there could be greater representation and imagining another world. Like you look at the liberal canon, you look at like, like uh, Candide, Hmm. It's like Candide is about imagining the best world possible. Hmm. You know, it's a, yeah. you know, like when Thomas More wrote Utopia, did like he didn't write a conclusion saying, oh, actually, that's not meant to be taken seriously. Those were things to like grasp for. Those were things yeah. to 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 think about more deeply. They were yeah. fucking critiques. Yeah, which is what like ultimately postmodernism, postmodernism is about, hmm. and is what social justice is about. It's hmm. about achieving goals, but it's about critiquing those those things. Hmm. Like, I don't. I don't see why, as a liberal, you'd have a problem with it. And as for her going off about postmodernists, like, I, I don't understand. She seems to think it seems to be opposed to, like, some very important scientific principle. But, like, when was it unscientific to say that, like, I don't know, like Shakespeare tailored his plays <laughs> to appeal to the monarchs who he was playing to, to yeah. his rich patrons? Yeah. Like, Michelangelo didn't go into the Sistine Chapel just because he felt like it and really yeah, liked and God. Painting. He couldn't have painted anything else. Like he yeah. might have painted something beautiful, but he he couldn't possibly have painted anything else because he wouldn't have been allowed. Mm. Like that's the kind of thing that that examining those relations from like a postmodern perspective would would kind of do, you know? Mm. Like I just don't and I don't see how you could look around and at the number sheer number of people 
who are like taking up race, gender, and uh, like ultimately class issues. I don't see how you could look around at the number of people who are raising those and kind of just say that they're lying mm. and not believe them. Yeah. It just speaks to something really, really gross. And especially the use of class to kind of silence everything else. Yeah. It's just a really kind of disappointing thing because like liberals, those kind of people are the people who would not have talked about class before like maybe five years ago. Yeah. Maybe 10 years ago. Let's say the credit crunch. Yeah. And suddenly class is super important. Mm. Shut up about that. We need to talk about class. Mm. We need to talk about class and then never talk about class. Mm. Like she doesn't, she doesn't talk about working no, class issues. She doesn't talk about class, class struggle, class structure, anything mm. like that. It's just, it's just gross. And like exposure to other like cultures and histories and things like that, that's supposed to widen your mind. And we now live at a time where we have the most access to those kind of things. Mm. And yet they're viewing social justice as a closing down it's more voices being heard. It's more experiences being shared. And yet it's a closing down of their minds as far as they're concerned. It's a penalty to them. Yeah. It's like the worst thing, like at least the right wingers in their fever, fever dreams, they're looking at race war and they're looking at like, they think it's extermination. Yeah. That's what they think. Yeah. Liberals, they think it's, oh, I won't be quite as prominent. Yeah. I will have to listen to somebody. You know? And it's... It just suggests that they implicitly acknowledge that maybe that kind of white, patriarchal, heteronormative stuff maybe has more of an impact on them than mm. they might like to admit. There is a lot of... Especially, like, the a certain age of the person who brings up cultural Marxism, not wanting, not wanting to really accept how many chances they've had, how many little nudges and helps they've had. Yeah. Of those... The worst person in LBC, Andrew Castle, mm. he complains about cultural Marxism a lot. It's a really great way to wake up on a Saturday Does he actually morning. say the words cultural Marxism? Yeah, all the time. Fucking hell. Former tennis pro and expert on the Frankfurt School, Andrew Castle. It's just It just goes to show it's gone from like pamphlets with mm. like like crudely drawn racial caricatures on them mm. to the proper mainstream. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, that's the real cultural, like, yeah. talking about like subversive cultural Marxism infiltrating into all of our institutions. What's that? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what's happened with those ideas. Yeah. You know? And I, I, I suppose, like, I was, I was researching this and I was kind of going back and forth on who to have a go at more, like mainstream conservatives or mainstream liberals. Mm. But I think it is ultimately the liberals who I'm the most disappointed with. Yeah. Because, like, to bring it back to, like, the George... George Bush dying. Yeah. Like, there's a quote from Barbara Bush that she says, um, why should I hear about body bags and death? It's not relevant. Why should I waste my beautiful mind on something like that? And that's the way I feel every time one of these, like, these fuckers starts going on about how social justice is just mm-hmm. so restrictive and so, it's so, it's so like, uh, trying to quiet voices and trying to yeah. quell, quell dissent and all yeah. that kind of thing. And they're talking in the same fucking ways. This, this, Brexit thing has brought out all their like heresy and treason mm. and all that kind of language from these kind of people mm. and it's the most disappointing from them because conservatives get away with it yeah. liberals aren't supposed to be able to get away with it by their own principles mm. they should be open to that uh, okay, that's us for this week. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamo and follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And we'll see you next week. Cheers. Bye. Bye.